0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for the birthday uh, blessings. You only turned 26 once. (laughs) I'm a little bit older than that. So yeah, we've been doing a series on the Old Testament book of Genesis. And what we have seen, the big truth that we've seen thus far, if you've been with us, is that God's special, blessed family, because that's what Genesis is about, God's special family, Abraham and his offspring. God's special, blessed family is super dysfunctional. And dysfunctional is actually a very charitable term to describe what's going on there. I thought of another, I tried to think of another term, and I just couldn't find one that's appropriate for church, to be honest. It's messed up, it's a very, very messed up family. And I mean, we're talking, I mean, the deceit and betrayal and thievery and murder, that shows up. Uh, Oh, uh, last week, uh, a little bit of human trafficking in the mix, selling siblings into slavery, God's special blessed family is super, super dysfunctional. Whatever problems you think your family has, they had it worse. But the surprising truth is that even with all of that going on, God continues to take care of them and bless them as his special beloved family. And you gotta be asking the question why. That's what should surprise you as you're reading through the book of Genesis. Why does God continue to put up with this lot? And the answer is, well, this is the church word, covenant. It's covenant promise. That's why he made a covenant promise to them, which is like a, a, a very serious blood promise, which we'll get into this. But the reason why he continues with this super messed up family is because he made a promise and he put his name on that promise. You are mine, I am yours, we are one. And we're gonna, I'm gonna treat you as one, one with me. You belong to me, and I belong to you. That's the power of covenant. And we actually saw it, uh, actually, pause, I'm gonna pray. Father God, help me speak your truth in a way that is clearly, evidently coming from you. Let it come from you, and let it be seen that it's from you, that it's your truth, And you are God, and you are good, and you are here, and you are a covenant God, and help us see the the seriousness and the good news of what that means for us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So God made a covenant promise with them, and that's between them and God, but it's more than just between them and God. The power of covenant is, it's also um, between people. And we saw that two weeks ago in Genesis 31, if you recall, Jacob and Laban— that household, 20 years, 20 years of lies and betrayal and deceit, and and it was all coming to a head with, with thievery that was happening again. And honestly, it could have ended with could have ended with murder. Laban was on his way, and it looked like that's probably where it was headed. God intervened, and instead, instead of killing each other. Um, Jacob and Laban, verse 44 of chapter 31, put that on the screen. We saw this two weeks ago. Um, It says, this is what happened instead of them killing each other. Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. And because they made a covenant, instead of killing one another, the way that the chapter ends is with them sitting together, eating together, sharing a meal, embracing They kiss. Bless one another, it's, it's, we're making a covenant, so now, instead of us being on different sides, adversaries, we are one. We are one people, we are one, and we're gonna live as one. And I need you to see, I need you to see how, well, first, I'm gonna tell you, we'll get to it, covenant is good news, it's very, very good news, but it's also super serious and you need to see how serious it is in order to understand the good news of covenant. So how serious is it? Well, um, put that verse back on the screen. Verse 44, um, he says, come now, let's make a covenant. So that's actually not uh, a super accurate translation of the word. The word um, isn't make, it's cut. Let's cut a covenant. And the reason why the word is cut is, if you make a covenant, you gotta shed blood, something needs to die. That's just how it works. And in this account, they sacrifice something, an animal. To make a covenant, there needs to be blood, something needs to die, and the reason for that is, it speaks to the seriousness of what we're doing here. This is a promise made on blood. This is a super serious promise, and it's not to be broken. So it's a blood promise. Also, if you want to see the seriousness, you can also see it in the um, "Let this covenant let it serve as a witness between us." So in this passage 31, we went through it, chapter 31, a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to walk through it now, but you actually see that five times. Five times when they're making the covenant, they say something to the tune of, let this covenant serve as a witness between you and I. Let the Lord serve as a witness between you and I. Let's set up a stone right here. Let it be a witness between you and I. As in, when it comes to covenant, um, you're basically saying, we're gonna trust ourselves to God. And the reason why I'm gonna trust you, even though you're a scoundrel, is I'm gonna trust you Because God is the one who's going to watch out and if you break it, it's on you and he's gonna hold you to account. And if I break it, it's on me, he's gonna hold me to account. So here's the deal, God's grace, God's grace, meaning his undeserved kindness, his love towards his special people, he overlooks a lot of stuff. You know that? (laughs) I know that. As in, there's a lot of things we do that we're not even aware of, perhaps. Things that are selfish, sinful, all of that. And there's a lot of stuff that I'm convinced that he just overlooks. Where it's just like, we're not even gonna confront that right now. There's just, (laughs) we're just gonna leave that alone. We're gonna let that slide. There's a lot of stuff that he just overlooks. But when it comes to breaking a covenant, he's not gonna overlook it. That's the truth that we see. And actually, um, the same language you see in Malachi 2. There's this time where this guy who is, he's, he's going and he's weeping. I don't know what's going on in his life. And God says to him, I hear you're crying. You're coming to me. You're praying. You're crying. But guess what? I am not listening to you. Because of the way that you treat your wife who is yours by covenant, I am a witness to this It's the same language here, as in I'm a witness to what's going on here. You're breaking a covenant. Covenants, super serious. And by the way, since I touched on marriage, your mind goes there naturally because marriage is a covenant. Today's sermon is not primarily about marriage, the covenant of marriage. It isn't, but it definitely has implications for marriage. And I just wanna say first off, there's always grace, there's always forgiveness. I understand we live in a culture where like divorce is super common, and I'm certainly not here trying to give this message of condemnation. If you're divorced, then God's against you. There are times when divorce is the only option because someone's been abandoned, or the way that a spouse acts shows that that person has abandoned the covenant. I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes people are divorced and it's no fault of their own. It's, it's, it's the reality of sin. Um, sometimes people are divorced and it is your fault. I mean, that's just something that happens. And there's also grace there and there's forgiveness there. But at the same time, it might be something you have to address. I've seen people come to Jesus And early on in their Christian life, they go back to their ex-spouse, and they say, I'm sorry, Uh, I I shouldn't have have treated you that way, it shouldn't have ended like that. I've seen people come to Jesus, go back to their ex-spouse, and get remarried. I've seen that. And again, the conversation regarding marriage is too long, there's too many questions, maybe some of them will come up in the Q&A, um... But I will say, and I hope you see it, that covenant is something that is serious, super serious. And if you want to know how serious it is, I, I, I'm gonna, we're going to go on a journey, okay? I want you to see how serious this is. And the reason you need to see it serious is because then you can understand the good news of covenant. If you don't understand how serious this is, the good news is going to be lost. It's going to be shallow. You won't get it. So we're going to go on a journey. Uh, the Bible is amazing, by the way. The Bible... Is so amazing because you have thousands of years of texts, of, of scriptures, written in a way that shows that there is ultimately one author who is telling his story through the centuries, through the millennia. It's crazy. It's crazy. So what we're going to do is we're going to take, we're going to fast forward. We're in Genesis 31. We're going to fast forward a 1,000 years. We're going to fast forward 1,000 years, which is still 3,000 years ago from us now, and 1,000 years before Jesus. It's the, the scope of who God is and, and, and the story he's telling in the scriptures, oh, I'm really tempted to go on a tangent about how amazing the Bible is. There's no, other, there's no other supposed spiritual book like it that has God who alone can tell his story through the ages. You know what? Actually, I'm going to read a quote on this, and... and uh, This is from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 46. Remember the former things, those long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. What he's saying is, compare me to other gods, and you're gonna find that only I am the God through the ages. Who can tell his story through the ages, and, and you're going to see that today. So Genesis, uh, that, that's like um, 2,000 years B.C., the stuff that's going on. We're going to fast forward to about 1,000 B.C. Uh, King David, the, 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 the kingdom of Israel has been established, the nation has been established. You got King David, and on a certain occasion, well, let's just read it. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. Okay. Uh, So what's going on here? There was a famine. And, you know, a famine one year, you get a dry year. It happens. Okay. Two years, that's not good. Uh, after three years, David starts asking the question, maybe something's going on here by which I should consult the Lord. Um, quick thing, I feel like I should just add this. If something is going bad in your life, that doesn't necessarily by any means mean that you've done something wrong and God is punishing you. I just really want to clarify that. There are tons of examples. The book of Job tells us this, that's a big lesson of the book of Job, and, uh, you know, all the suffering that happens in the New Testament to God's beloved people. When something bad happens to you, that definitely doesn't mean that God is against you and, or, or trying to teach you a lesson or something. Um, but when we do go to God in prayer, especially asking for help, there is a heart mentality always when we go to God that says, Lord, examine me. What is that? Psalm 39. Uh, Psalm 39. Search me, O Lord, examine me. See if there's anything bad. It's kind of just like, if you're coming before God, God is light. Part of that is just, examine me. Uh, You know me better than I, I know myself. And if I want to have a real relationship with you, that means that you come before him naked in the sense of just examine my life. This is the only way to have a real relationship with God, by the way, is to come before him and with that mentality that says, search, search me. Um, so anyways, David does that. He says, there's, there's a famine for three years, Lord. What's going on? And God says, it's on account of Saul, which was David's predecessor, the king before him. It's on account of Saul and his bloodstained house. It's because he put the Gibbonites to death. Now, this is weird. Um... So the Gibeonites, okay, first off, Saul's dead. Saul's already dead. Second off, in the books of Chronicles and Kings and and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, there's a ton of killing going on. There's there's wars, there's murder, there's all sorts of stuff. But on this occasion, God says, I'm not gonna let it go. Um, Saul killed the Gibeonites. Okay, well, who are the Gibeonites? And why is that something that God's um, so concerned about? I said we're going on a journey. So now uh, we're going to rewind 400 years. 400 years back, it's a long time. We're going to go back 400 years and... um, this is uh, after the people of Israel have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and began to un- enter the Promised Land. So this is the book of Joshua, chapter 9, beginning verse 1. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, They came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We've come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Um, and, and, and you keep going and the whole story, it's, it's, it's a covenant. So let's, let's explain what's going on here. God had said to the people of Josh, uh the people Joshua was leading, the Israelites, I'm giving you the land. And the people that live there, he said, don't make a covenant with them. Don't make a covenant of peace with them. You got to drive them out. And that probably brings a bunch of questions that we just don't have time to get into today. We've talked about it before. Um, but he says, don't make a covenant of peace with these people. You need to drive them out. Well, um, most of the kings, what they did was they got together and they said, we're going to fight. We're going we're to team up. We're going to fight against the Israelites, Joshua and the Israelites. The Gibeonites, they had a different plan. And that's what we start to read. They, uh, they, um, it says they resorted to a ruse, a trick. And so they show up with old sandals and old clothes and old wineskins and moldy, dry bread. And they say, um, make a covenant with us. We've come on a long journey. Because God said, don't make a covenant with the people in this land of promise. And that's why the, the, the Gibeonites must have heard that, and they were like, we're from far away. We're, we're just on a journey here. We don't, we don't live here. Look how, look, how oldy, look how old and moldy our, our bread is and such. I mean, pick up in verse seven. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned, who reigned in Asheroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, "'Take provisions for your journey. "'Go and meet them and say to them, "'We are your servants. "'Make a treaty with us. "'This bread of ours was warm "'when we packed it at home "'on the day we left to come to you, "'but now see how dry and moldy it is. "'And these wineskins that we filled were new, "'but see how cracked they are. "'And our clothes and sandals are worn out "'by the very long journey. "'The Israelites sampled their provisions "'but did not inquire of the Lord.' Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live and the leaders of the assembly ratified by oath. So, yeah, you, you see the trick, right? It's not complicated. We don't live around here. You can make a covenant with us. And, well, God told them not to. They were, they were tricked into it. It says here that they did not inquire of the Lord. And I suppose you could probably make a big message about how uh, you should really inquire of the Lord before making a big decision, especially something as serious as, you know, a promise, a, a covenant. But that is an, another sermon for another time because that's not actually the main point with the story of the Gibeonites. So they tricked them. They tricked them and they made the covenant. Verse 16 Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. <laughs> So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephereth, Beeroth, and Kiritha-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us, saying we live a long way from you? Well, actually, you live near us. You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God, okay, so there's something a little funny here to me, but um so it's like they found out they found out quickly the Gibeonites are neighbors, they live on the land, and in our minds, the way that we think of like contracts and promises, we'd say. Well, this changes things, and now we're just going to cancel that because we were tricked. I mean, it seems pretty obvious, like, that's how we would think. It makes sense to my logic. We were tricked, so we don't have to honor our part of the deal. in um, some, never mind, I'm not going to go there. And I will go there. In some uh, religious traditions, there's this idea that, like, a marriage can be annulled which basically means you can like rewind and look at the facts from the beginning and say, oh, this marriage was made under shaky terms. It doesn't really count. It never really happened. It was the covenant. The covenant, we can, we can live as if the covenant wasn't made because it wasn't made in the right terms. And this kind of basically, if there was ever a case that you could annul a covenant, this would be one where you could just annul it and say, this, this doesn't count. I mean, they were tricked. God told them not to do it in the first place, but they don't do that, do they? Instead, what they say is, uh, we can't, we can't break it. We made a promise before the Lord. And if we do, he's going to hold us against, he's going to hold it against us. And then, so uh, the Gibeonites is something interesting that you have to see. So yeah, God told the people of Israel to drive out the people that live there because otherwise you're gonna end up serving their gods, right? That's what he said. But, and, and so on the surface, that sounds kind of like um, like ethnocentric and uh, just wrong to us in lots of ways. But also in the story, you see that God's heart is bigger than that. Um, uh, uh, some chapters earlier, if you know the story with Rahab, so Rahab, uh, so, so, so once more, you have all these kings seeing the people of Israel come in. And what they think is, let's team up and fight them. That's a move of unbelief, isn't it? What, are you going to fight against God? You You think that if you team up, you're going to be stronger than the Lord? But you have people like Rahab, who was a foreigner, and she realized God's with you. So instead of fighting you, I'm gonna join you, can I join you? And she used actually deceit <laughs> in order to join the people of Israel, and she became blessed. Actually, she's one of Jesus's ancestors. Um, she's, a, I think the, she, she's, I think, one of the great, great, great grandmothers of King David also. So you have that, that's some chapters earlier, and here again, you have the people who lie on the Gibeonites. And yeah, the people of Israel coming in, but instead of fighting them, they act with faith. And they say, God is with you, so I want to join you. I want to be part of what God is doing. They acted with faith. And so what was funny to me is reading this, um, Joshua says to the Gibeonites, okay, all right, we made a covenant, we can't kill you, but now you're under a curse, and now you have to serve the house of God. (laughs) Um, Basically, you got to be woodcutters and wear water carriers for the house of God which is like the temple. So basically it's like, no, we're not gonna kill you. Instead, you have to serve the Lord. And the Gibeonites who have faith, you can bet they were like, deal, I'll take that deal. So you're saying that I get to, this is not a curse is what I'm trying to say. This is a privilege to be part of God's temple, to be part of his family. Yeah, you're gonna serve, that's part of it. And beloved, all of this, all these stories, these, this, this, this story told through the thousands of years, the millennia, the centuries, all that, it's about Jesus and his, his covenant with us. Do you understand how this works? We're enemies of God in our sin. Scriptures will tell you that. The New Testament will tell you that. And our hearts were enemies. But Jesus came, and the idea is, come and make a covenant with him, make peace with him, become one with him. And you know what it means? Even tricksters like, that, like us, people who have hearts filled with deceit, we become one with him and we become his servants. That's how it works. Just like the Gibeonites, we become his servants, serving the house of God. And at that point, the house of God was the temple, but for us, what is the house of God? It's, it's the church, not, not the building. Not, the, the, not the, the legal institution, but the family of God. We come and we serve one another. We who are far off have been brought near. And we've been brought near to be part of this special family and we've become his servants. That's part of the covenant. We've become his servants to serve his special people as one. As one people. So now, in this case... The Gibeonites and the Israelites, they're going to be one. The two shall be one. They're going to live as one. And at this point, even though they were tricked, even though God told them not to do the covenant, they got that. And if you go to the next, if you keep reading, I think it's the next chapter, what happens is all these kings that are set on teaming up and fighting against Israel, they heard that the Gibeonites made a covenant with Israel. So they think we're going to go and kill the Gibeonites for what they did. And so they go to do that. And Joshua, he gets word of that. All these kings are fighting against the Gibeonites. And once more, it would have been real easy for Joshua to say, let them work that out. The Gibeonites are going to get what they deserved. But that's not what Joshua did. See, those kings, they made a mistake. Because Gibeonites became one with the people of God. And Joshua understood that. So when the Gibeonites were attacked, Joshua said, these are our brothers. These are our sisters. And they went and they destroyed those kings. They put them to shame. This is the good news of covenant. The two shall become one. Adversaries becoming one. Um, Sinners becoming one. It's, it's, it's It's about us and Jesus. That's what it's really about. And so we fast forward. Once more to where we were, Second Samuel 21, verse 1 and 2. Let me, let me read this again. So this is, again, 400 years after that uh, Gibeon deception. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. The king subbed in the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them. But Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to annihilate them. I'm gonna bring this home a little bit because this part is just crazy to me. This is crazy. God told them not to make the covenant. They were tricked into making the covenant. 400 years had passed. Saul breaks the covenant, and God holds it against them. That's crazy to me. And what that communicates to all of us is that God takes covenants pretty seriously. It's not something that he's just gonna let it go. Why is that good news? It's very good news. Why is that good news? Because he's made a covenant with us in Christ. He's made a covenant with us I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am yours, you are mine. And as a Christian, sometimes you lie in bed and you become aware, you know, you have that, Lord, search me, seek me. You have that nakedness before God. Examine me, Lord. And you lie in bed and you realize you got some issues. You got some dysfunction. Your family's got some dysfunction. But is your sin so great that the God of covenants is gonna break a covenant? I can tell you it isn't. If 400 years, 400 years and a tricked covenant that they never should have made and God who is a covenant God is still not gonna let that go, let me tell you, God who is a covenant God is not gonna waver on his faithfulness to his promise to love us and bless us and be with us. He's not gonna waver because of our sin, as great as it may be, because the covenant is greater and he's a covenant God. That's good news. Sometimes I lie in bed, sometimes I lie in bed and I honestly have a, a, a storm going on in my mind of everything that I just need help with and everything that I feel bad about or worried about. And there's just this peace, God is a covenant God and, and, and two of us are one, he's with me, and he's faithful, he's not gonna break it. It's a covenant, it's a good news, a covenant. We've been made one. Actually, let's, let's jump to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, beginning verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, for he says, this is my covenant, I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, "...their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary." Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So God himself has cut a covenant with us. I tell you, a covenant, there's got to be blood if we're going to make a covenant. And, and, And who was cut? I mean, that's the new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. Jesus, his death, the blood of Jesus. That's how serious God's promise is with us. And the good news is he's he's faithful. What is his promise? What is his covenant promise? This is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my law in their hearts and write them on my minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. My promise is I'm going to forgive them. They're going to be mine. That's the great promise that we have in Jesus. Jesus whose blood was shed to pay for our sins and to seal, to ratify God's covenant promise with us. And now the two shall be one, Um, him in us and and us in him. Hallelujah. But with all covenants, there is a warning. With all covenants, there's a warning of breaking it. And for that reason, we need to keep reading. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may... Spur one another up toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who has rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So that's kind of serious, isn't it? Um, And I feel like I should probably do my best to explain this and how it fits into the fact that we are in covenant with God. He had said that he's going to remember our sins no more and that we'll have forgiveness. That is the covenant promise that we have. And so what is our duty as far as to remain in this covenant? Our duty to be faithful is simply to believe in him. Um, And as we believe in him, he lives through us. And a huge, huge Part, a central part of this covenant as i've said is to become one we become one and so here he's he's equating that to become one with verse 24 and verse 25 let me read this again and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And then in this translation, it just says, if we deliberately keep on sinning. But most translations actually say, for if we keep on sinning, as in there's this connection. Okay, there's a lot to talk about here. I'm gonna try to make it simple. As Christians, we have a duty, a covenant duty, to live as one. I mean, this is what Jesus said. This was his... This was his prayer. This was his great prayer. Lord, let them be one as I am one with you so that the whole world may know. This is how the world is gonna know that that we are his. When Jesus was dying, when he's on the cross dying and and his friends and and his mom were there, his last dying wish is the blood of the covenant was being shed And and he said, behold your mom, behold your mother, as in now this is your mother, behold your son, now this is your son. Now you are family. That's my dying wish, is that you would live as family, that you would live as one. This is the covenant promise. So our primary way of living out as God's special people is to live as one people. Once in a while, not once in a while, fairly often you hear people will say, well, well I'm a Christian, but I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't do church. And if that means like you don't show up on Sundays, well, that's one thing. But if it means that you are not part of a family of believers living together, encouraging one another, walking together in faith, if you're not doing that, you're not walking with him. You're not honoring the covenant. And there's a point in which there's a point in which God's going to hold you to that. That's what we see here. Um, The idea if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. The idea with covenant is he's gonna live in us and he's gonna write his laws on our heart. And here's how I see it. If you live a life of sin and there's a deliberateness of it, as in you know what God's word says and you've really just decided that you don't care and you've really just decided that you're gonna do it anyways, Uh, don't comfort yourself that you're in covenant with him. Because part of the covenant is he writes his laws on our hearts. As Christians, yeah, we sin. Yeah, yeah, we sin. But because he lives in us, there's a point in which our hearts become grieved where you just can't sleep at night knowing that you're doing this because he lives in you and the spirit in you is grieved. So this is really simply just saying, it's, it's trying to communicate to all of us what this relationship with God is. As we believe in him, we become one with him through covenant, through the blood that is shed. And if we're one with him, he lives in us. His spirit lives in us. And the way that manifests is we live together as one people. Hallelujah. He will never leave us. He will never leave us. We will fail a million times. We will fail so many times. And we can always say, God, you've made a covenant promise with us. We can wander from the church. Even that happens. Where it's like, it's been a long time. It's been a long time since I have gone and lived as one with God's people. Lord, you're going to help me. You're going to help me change that. You're going to bring me back into family. All that is forgiven. The, the, where it gets more dangerous here is the warning for those who have wandered from God's family and they feel content about it. I would not comfort myself if that's where I was at um, because together in one that's how we live out the covenant has promised us, I'm going to forgive their sins. Our duty is to live as his servants and to live as one people and forever. This is the promise forever. Um, I'm so excited in the fall, we're gonna kick off all our Welcome Wednesdays, and I'm excited because that's gonna be a time for us to fellowship, to live as one. And the world's gonna know, that's what Jesus said, so that the world may know that they are mine. We're gonna experience a oneness, I believe this, we're gonna experience a oneness that's gonna to testify to the fact that God is with us. Um, all right, come on up, Jeff Day. I, have, I imagine you guys have some questions. Uh, Father God, you're good. You're good. Let it be true, especially for Wednesdays. Let us live out oneness. Thank you for your faith in us, God, and that you will never, never abandon your covenant. Amen.
1: So, for parents who have kids in K to grade four, we invite you to go and pick them up so they can be a part of the second part of service. So it's now time of Q&A. So for those who have questions online, you can text a question um, on the phone number on the screen. Or if you're in person, you can just raise your hand and the mic will be brought to you. Uh, So I have a question, Charlie. I'm going to start it. Uh, so, for those who heard that message for the first time, about covenant, about to be one with God, what is the thing that they need to do to be in th- that covenant?
0: that's a great question. For those who received him, for those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, there's a message that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead, and sinners are welcome. Um, deceivers are welcome. Um, manipulators are welcome. The, the sexually immoral, welcome. Um, all are welcome. And what you need to do is believe in him. To enter into covenant is something that you do in your heart, where you say, all right, Lord, I want you. I'm yours, you are mine. It's an act of faith. By faith we enter the covenant. Um, it's simply something we do by believing, believing that, that, that he is there. Um, in some traditions, they'll encourage people to say something called like the sinner's prayer where you say, God, I, Lord, I confess to you that I'm a sinner and I've heard that you're a savior. Come into my life. And that might be helpful for you to do something like that. Um, but it, it's something that happens on a on a heart level, where we believe in Him. Thank
1: you. Is there other question? adel has got a question. Oh. There's a question, and right. No question online.
0: I actually expected a lot more questions today, so okay. that's good. Yeah, Maybe okay. I was more clear yeah. than than. Uh, <laughs>
1: you said, I think. Oh, there's a question that
2: come. Hi. Uh, talking, okay. Um, so, first of all, I, I do admire the preaching theme for this whole series because it's very difficult stuff that you are looking at. And uh, to be honest, I feel like this part of the Bible is rated R. It's more R than any books I have in my school library. That's another topic. Um, so this week, this week, God continues to command violence. And there's a lot of bloodshed. Um, and I understand it's about purity um, and, and consequences of not living in God's way. Um, but technically, if I understand correctly, the Israelites kind of cheated by making a covenant that they shouldn't have made, and the Gibeonites cheated because they lied. And yet, in the end, it's the Israelites who get to say, um, "Well, you're going to be, you know, the woodcutters and the water bearers." So I have difficulty in my twenty-first century mentality thinking how is this a privilege to let another man or human determine that my life is of servitude? And I guess I'm thinking a little bit about residential schools, about slavery, racism. So I don't know how to reconcile that.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it. So a couple things. That's a. Um, so when the Gibeonites, yeah, became in covenant with them and they said, right, you're going to serve us... <laughs> Yeah, that. when you look at the Old Testament, there are many ways in which God enters into dysfunctional families and dysfunctional people. And throughout history, when a nation would come and invade another nation, it's like, now you're gonna be our servants, now you're gonna be our slaves. Like, all these things, like we talked about, if you remember the conversation with polygamy, that was a common thing. All these things people are doing that are just a result of fallen sinful nature. God enters into this, right? He enters into it, and instead of like from the outside changing people, instead he's working out his story to change people from the inside and to change hearts. And so eventually, people like, and and, and that comes into a climax with Jesus and us being born again, and how after people are born again, they start to understand: love your neighbor, don't make them slaves. Um, don't take multiple wives, I'm hurting my first wife, things like that. Um, But, so what God has done often in the Old Testament, the way I see it, is he takes these very fallen human institutions and he's telling his story through them. So this is absolutely not God, um, this is absolutely not God putting a stamp of approval on taking the Gibeonites as slaves, but we can still see we can still see through these messed up people, God pointing to the truth that is not messed up. Just like, uh, so that, that's how I make sense of that. There's a lot of things that, that God does that, or a lot of things that happen in that story that...
2: So the, the issue is, I guess, in 21st century, there are still people living in that kind of judgmental militant mentality. So how do we avoid going in that direction? Because you're hearing a lot of othering of others. It's us, them, other. So, number one, how do we avoid going there? And number two, is it our place then, when we see grace, um, is it our place to call out such judgmental, ethnocentric mentalities?
0: Yeah, I mean... uh our command is, is to love one another. And when we see, um, what is it, if, if you see a brother caught in sin, you know, you should speak to them um, and, and try to bring it to light. If we see Christians especially committing injustice, I don't think staying silent is a good thing, uh, for sure. Go ahead.
3: Could we go from the 21st century to the biblical times? Because what I was seeing was that um, the pagan gods required people to be put to death, but my understanding is that it was for their pleasure, for uh, their appeasement, for their pleasure. Like, But in this case, I see the biblical god saying it's, it's just, it's justice, it's covenant, covenant justice, it's so like separate from him. He's, does that make sense? So I, I think there's a righteousness in that. I th- and it comforts me to say, if God is going to judge, it's, it's going to be about righteousness. So if somebody sins against me, or my family, or my nation, if we leave it to God, Even he won't forget, you know what I mean? Even in 400 years or he will bring justice. So I see it as a bit comforting. What does that, uh, would that be a way to look at it?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's the big thing with covenants is that you're trusting that I don't have to look out for myself. Um, especially if I'm going to make a covenant with someone who is a sinner like me, I'm going to trust that God is the one who's going to, going to work that out. Once more with the Old Testament, there's a lot of unanswered questions, and to be totally honest, what happens after? <laughs> we didn't even get into what happened. I we read in Second Samuel that a famine falls upon the land, and so. And God says, as we read, it's because of what happened with the Gibeonites. If you want to be challenged, read the rest of 2 Samuel 21 or 22. Because I originally was going to walk through that, but I realized there's so many questions that this is just, and things that I haven't even made sense of, to be totally honest. But there are things in the Bible especially in the Old Testament, that will challenge you. There's stuff in the New Testament that will challenge you. And sometimes you just have to do the best you can with it. And at the end of the day, say, God, you're God. I'm not. I wouldn't have wrote the story this way. (laughs) I wouldn't have had it play out this way. But I trust that you're God and I'm not. And I also know who you've revealed yourself to be in Jesus. Because in Jesus, the fullness of God has been made known. And that's where we can see God in the fullness of truth, um, the one who would lay down his life and love for his people. OK, last
1: question. Um, so one that we have online. When two people get married, is it's a covenant before God. When one of them walk away from the marriage covenant, does still a person blessed by God.
0: Is that person still blessed by God yep. if they walk away? Yeah. It's a good question. So in Malachi 2, God says, I'm holding this against you because the way that you've treated your wife. Now, does that mean, let's say a Christian abandons a covenant and leaves their wife or husband. Does that mean that God is, is, going, is not going to forgive them and they're going to be damned to hell? I, I don't know. I don't necessarily think it means that. But I do think... I do think that if you abandon a covenant, like I say, some things God will just overlook, I don't think he'll overlook it. I do think it's something he's going to deal with in his way, and I do think it is something that for one, if you're thinking of doing it, don't do it. And I would honestly say, if you've done it, if, if, if you're divorced, I'm just speak plainly, if you're divorced because you abandoned the covenant, I would ask for forgiveness. I would go back and ask for forgiveness because that's a serious thing. Um, and the reason, once more, that why this is so serious is because it's a, it communicates who God is. God has said to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You sin, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are mine. I'm yours. And so as we are made in his image, it's really important that we who are made to reflect his image, we also take covenants really, really seriously. Um, So once more, I really—I don't bring that up to give a message of condemnation. I really prayed about this because I knew talking about divorce, um, marriage, which was not primarily the message today, but I knew touching on this has the ability to hurt people because a lot of people have been affected by divorce. It's something in our culture. And I certainly don't want to give the message that if you're divorced and it is your fault, that there's no hope for you or God has cut you off or anything like that. I don't want to give that impression because God always, is he's so full of grace and forgiveness and love. But at the same time, I do want you to see a covenant is something that is super, super, super serious. And, um, and, and, it is something that if you feel like you've abandoned a covenant, that you're really going to want to do everything you can uh, to, to honor that. Because in Samuel, God held them to it, even though it was 400 years later and it was a covenant they shouldn't have made. Um, because once more, this is about his relationship to us. He's made a promise, and he is never going to break it.